Welcome to the Trials and Miles podcast, a podcast where we talk about life's ups and downs and the beauty of it all. I'm your host, Casey Hool. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 13. Lucky number 13. Woo. Um, super excited for this episode. Per usual, everybody that comes on this podcast is awesome if I do say so myself. (laughs) If you listened to the last episode, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, before we get into the episode today with Mandy Sherman, who is also awesome, um, I just want to take care of some business. First being, I want to read a review from one of our listeners. Um, I very, very, very much appreciate all the subscribes and reviews and ratings that you give us. It just helps keep this thing afloat and moving along in the right direction. So if you haven't already subscribed or left a review, please do so. Um, But I wanted to read this review from Casey underscore 2009. Already a good review right there, Casey. Um, She or he (laughs) says, I love listening to this podcast. It always makes my day better and puts life into perspective. Casey does a great job connecting with her guests. She interjects at the proper times to give her own thoughts and opinions, which adds even more depth to her story and her guest stories. Thank you. No, thank you, Casey underscore 2009. I seriously appreciate all the reviews and you guys taking a little bit of time out of your day to to support this podcast. The other thing I wanted to do is our quote of the week. This quote comes to you from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, Ralph is the man. He Everything he says, I think, is just golden. He has some of the best quotes, and I encourage you to look into him some more. Um, but I particularly love this quote, and it applies a lot to our upcoming episode about just living the moment and living life to the fullest. He says... Live in the sunshine, swim the sea, drink the wild air. I mean, I think if we can go through life just taking in the moment, drinking the air, swimming in the sea, living in the sun, um, I know I would be better for it, and I think we all could use a little just zest for life. This quote just really resonates for me with me. So take some time today to get outside and live in the moment and drink that wild air. I know you'll be better off for it. And without further ado, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome everybody to episode 13. Um, I'm super excited to have Mandy with us today. She is awesome. I've been following her for a while on Instagram and you're A, just super, super beautiful, and B, I just love your outlook on life, um, even though you're dealing with some pretty rough stuff. Um, so, Mandy, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Yeah, thank you for thinking of me and inviting me to be on here. It's an honor. Yeah, we're, we're very excited that you're here, and I'm going to share your story with us. Um, before we get into the details of your story and kind of what you're dealing with from day to day. Do you want to introduce yourself, tell us your background story and kind of just what makes you, you? Yeah, sure. Um, I am 
28 years old. I will always tell you my full age um, because <laughs> having CF, you never know how many birthdays you're going to have. So each one that I do have, I make a big deal out of it. So you I should. am I'm 28 and a half, actually. Um, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then I moved to Arizona, where we're currently residing, um, three years ago. And I am finally used to the heat and <laughs> finding the beauty in the desert. It was, it was a transition going from, in my mind, like I had to find beauty, you know, on the on the earth and landscape with like so much green and that's mm-hmm. not necessarily how it is in Arizona. So right. it, took me, it took me a little bit, but I, I found it and I'm very happy with where we are. Good. Um, I we're similar. I'm 28 as well. Oh yeah. And I haven't done a full year, but I went from Utah to Arizona post-graduation. I graduated and then I went to Arizona for a year, did my first year of college down there. So I know exactly what you mean. Like it's a very different kind of beauty. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, Where did you go to school? Lone Peak High School. Oh, I meant um, in Arizona. Oh, in Arizona? Yeah. Um, Duh. I went to a junior college. Um, I got recruited to run my uncle coach down there at Paradise Valley Community College, which is in Phoenix. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, lived right there in Phoenix. Are you – where are you in Arizona? Uh, Glendale. Oh, awesome. So yeah. close. close. Yeah. Okay, wait. So what did you run? I ran distance. Okay. So, like, the mile – well, in high school, I ran the mile, two-mile. College, I did more the 3K steeple, 5K, and then – dabbled a tiny bit in the in the 10k <laughs> that's awesome so in high school um I ran sprints and I did four by one four by four the open 400 and oh awesome uh, yeah I ran hurdles those were my main events the one the 100s and the 300 hurdles and I went to Weber State and ran up there for a year after oh awesome so, yeah crazy we I was wondering if we were competitors so. um what high school did you go to Hillcrest. Okay. I'm sure we ran, I mean, not in the same races, obviously. You were yeah. sprinter, I was distance, but I'm sure we were at the same same meets. Yeah, same place. That's awesome. How crazy. We could have Small. been friends so long ago. <laughs> Too bad. We missed out. Yeah. So do you want to take us through kind of more of the heavier stuff? Um, Let's go back and do you want to kind of tell us when you found out that you had cystic fibrosis and kind of what the diagnosis looked for you early on? Yeah, definitely. That's a good story. Um, So cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease. Um, So I was born with it. Um, When I was born, however, they didn't know that I had it. Um, I was a smaller sized baby. Um, and when I was born, I looked different. I was born with a very distended abdomen, and I had very frail, small, thin limbs. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, just looking at me, you could tell like something was wrong. And then I never passed my meconium. Um, and so, you know, they took me to the NICU to be assessed and to be watched because I wasn't having like, 
the quote unquote normal, you know, things mm-hmm. that babies do. Um, but didn't seem like it was an emergent issue at the time. Um, and my mom, she had very difficult pregnancies. So she, um, spent the night, you know, in the hospital, she actually ended up spending a couple of days and, um, mm-hmm. my, I went to the nursery or, um, sorry, I went to the NICU and my dad went home. Um, and my mom got a full night's rest. And when she woke up, she was like, Oh, this is awesome. Amanda already slept through the night. And she's like, okay, I'm going to hurry and try and take a shower before she wakes up. So she showered and then paged her nurse and asked if she could hold her baby. You know, she was ready to hold her baby. And the nurse looked at her and said, oh, (laughs) you don't know what happened to your baby? (laughs) And my mom was like, what? She's like, nobody told you about your baby? My mom's like, nobody told me what? And I ended up um, having to be transferred up to Primary Children's Hospital and um, because I was failing to thrive and they couldn't figure out exactly what was wrong. So my mom and I ended up being in different hospitals. You can imagine the emotional, hormonal, um, tragic mess that she was in. And she tried to get a hold of my dad, but this was, you know, before cell phones and um, he was in like a meeting. Anyways, he couldn't be reached. And so my mom spent all day, you know, by herself in the room. And when my dad finally was off work and was able to call her, she said, you need to go to Primary Children's and find out what's going on with Amanda because I don't have any information Um, and you know, they started caring for me and ran every test in the book and everything was coming back negative or normal. And, um, I continued to not progress and, you know, eventually, you know, after a little bit, they told my parents, they're like, we don't see any progression in your daughter. We can't figure out what's wrong with her. And we think you need to prepare to say your goodbyes. Um, oh my gosh. So we are, you know, we are LDS. And so my parents, you know, called the family meeting and a bunch of our family members came up and I was given a name and a blessing in the hospital. And um, they, you know, were just mentally preparing for the worst. And my mom was holding me and um, she, I don't remember if this was right after the blessing or, you know, a different day. Um, obviously I don't know the whole timeline. I wasn't, I was there, but my memory is not, not serving. Um, but anyways, she ended up kissing me and I tasted salty and, um, she made the comment, Oh, Amanda, you tasted salty. And the nurse happened to be in the room and turned around and said to my mom, she said, what did you say? Um, um, not realizing she had said anything like in particular, she was like, mm, I, I don't know. She was like, uh, well, I just kissed Amanda and she tasted salty. And the nurse ran out of the room and found the doctor and said, you need to test this baby for cystic fibrosis. Um, and obviously, you know, they tested me for that and it was off the charts. Um, wow. So I, you know, I credit where I am today 
you know, specifically because of that nurse, because she was the one that saved my life. She had remembered like a little detail from school, you know, back 28 years ago, CF wasn't this big, huge disease. They didn't know much about it. So it was really just kind of brushed over. Um, but she happened to remember a particular detail that linked to cystic fibrosis and, you know, was a, was an advocate for her patient and, you know, really, um, encouraged the doctor to do further testing. Um, I really, really wish I knew who she was because I would love to meet her or write her a thank you card, but. Thank goodness for good nurses. My husband has done some hospital stays, and not every nurse is created equal. I've come to find oh, out. Oh, yes. No, no, no. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it makes you so, so grateful for ones like her who are just prepared. And, I mean, I'm sure that was a little bit of God in there, too, that – helped her remember that little tidbit to save your life. I mean, that's, so you were a miracle from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, what was like your childhood and stuff growing up with this disease like? Well, when I was younger, I was actually a very healthy um, child. I had a, I had a very difficult time gaining weight, you know, um, <clears throat> with cystic fibrosis. I should probably give you a little background of it. Um, but cystic fibrosis is a, it's a genetic disease and there's a particular defect in every cell of our body. And that defect causes our body to produce like a rampant amount of really thick, sticky mucus. Um, and when you think about your body, all of your organs have a mucosal lining um, to prevent friction and, you know, a mucosal lining inside of them. And since ours is so thick and sticky, it actually ends up clogging a lot of the organs, um, which causes them to fail or not work properly as they should. So mm-hmm. with um, my stomach being distended um, when I was born, that was an indicator that my body had not been digesting my food. You know, And that's also why I had the failure to thrive. And I was a very small child all you know all growing up um most patients Mm -hmm. with cf are on the smaller side because we just have such a difficult time gaining weight um Mm -hmm. our bodies don't digest our food so we have to take you know supplemental enzymes to help with that and then you know as it passes through our intestines only about one third of the calories that we consume um are actually absorbed and So a lot of times we are very deficient on like vitamins and minerals. So we supplement with those and just have to eat a lot of high calorie dense foods. Um, And, you know, then when you think of the mucosal lining within your lungs, everybody has it. But since ours is so, you know, thick, it tends to cling like a magnet to any bacteria or any germs or any sickness in the air. And um, it likes to hold on to them. So we are very prone to frequent and recurrent lung infections, respiratory infections. And um, then once we have contracted those, it's very difficult for us to get rid of them. Um, A lot Mm -hmm. of times, 
you know, that's typically when we have to go into the hospital is when we've, um, you know, we have a lung infection and we have to go and receive IV antibiotics because oral antibiotics, you know, pills don't always work because of several different reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about the digestion and absorption. Um, And then also we have been on um, so many antibiotics our entire life that we develop resistance to them. And Mm -hmm. the, the oral antibiotics aren't strong enough and we have to receive IV antibiotics, which are much more potent and um, directly, directly distributed, or it's it goes directly to our heart to be um, diluted and distributed throughout our blood, our body, and the bloodstream, which is the fastest way to, you know, work on all those things. Um, right. So to help prevent lung infections, um, I do my daily treatments. Um, which as a kid, they looked different. Back then, we didn't have the technology we do now. And so my parents sat with us for hours a day and they pounded on our back and on our chest cavity. And I'm saying R because my younger sister has it too. So, um, Oh, wow. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. we have um, three girls in our family and two of the three of us have cystic fibrosis. Um, so each parent would take one daughter and um you know there were several different positions we had to lay in that made um, it easier for the mucus to drain out and then they would just pound on our backs um with your hands in like a cupping cup cupping form and um Mm -hmm. you know you do each position and each treatment you know lasted anywhere from like 30 minutes to an hour of you know, just pounding on our back, trying to knock that mucus loose. Um, and, um, you know, now I have uh, my vest machine. And so I, I literally put on a vest and I hook it up to these two hoses that, um, connect to a machine and they inflate with air and, it sends pulses of air at different frequencies and amplitudes to work different areas of my lungs to help um, knock all the mucus off so I can cough it up. So it's simulating the pounding, um, but gives everyone's arms and hands a break. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's awesome. So growing up, did you feel... I don't know, did you feel like, so you have all of these different pills you have to take, treatments you have to do, and it's a daily process, day in, day out. Do you, did you ever feel like it held you back at all? Or did you, how did you handle it when you were younger? I'm sorry. I totally kind of strayed off of that. No, no. No, that was good because it's good to have that background information. I felt like I just took like a CF crash course, which enlightened my mind like tons. So it's very good to have that now going throughout the rest of the episode. Yeah. So, no, you're perfect. Um, so as a kid, my parents didn't treat me any differently than, you know, if I didn't have CF. Um, they still, you know, encouraged me to um, – be with friends. They enrolled me with school. They put me in extracurricular activities. I was in piano or dance or tumbling, you know, t-ball, whatever my heart desired, you know, they let us do. Um, and mm-hmm. it was very smart on their behalf because, um, 
as I was out running around and doing all those different athletic or physical activities, it was, you know, like a little secret treatment. I was exercising my lungs and, you know, it would make me cough and clear them out. So they were very, very, mm-hmm. very smart and always encouraging that. And, you know, now that I look back, I realize how brave my parents were, you know, sending me to public school to be around so many children that have germs and go to school sick, um, where, you know, mm-hmm. I was kind of like a magnet to any sickness. Um, so as a kid, I always was aware, um, you kind of develop a trained ear and, when I'm walking anywhere, I can like pick up anybody that is coughing. Um, and so I learned to do that as a little kid. You know, if I noticed anybody was coughing at school, then I would ask, you know, to be moved to a different table or a different desk, you know, if they were near me. Um, I've always really had to pay attention to the air quality because um, living in the Salt Lake Valley, we're surrounded by mountains, which traps lots of pollution during the winter. Mm-hmm. And um, if we had a bad air quality day, a red or a yellow air quality day, then I would have to have inside recess. Um, so I spent um, quite a bit of time bonding with my teachers um, as you know they would mm-hmm. entertain me while everyone else was running around. Um, I really feel that, you know, that's kind of the biggest differences. I didn't really, as a child, I wasn't in the hospital a lot, so I didn't, you know, have to worry about those. Um, Quite frankly, I thought everybody did treatments, and I thought that (laughs) everybody took pills. I remember I was at my friend's house, and I was like, oh, I forgot my medicine. I have to be right back. And she said, she started asking about medicine. Because um, we were going to eat a snack or we were eating lunch or something. So I had to go get my enzymes from my house. And she was like, you take medicine? And I was like, you don't take medicine? And, and she's <laughs> like, no. And I was like, you don't even take a vitamin? And she's like, no. <laughs> and it was so like mind-blowing to me because you know I thought that was normal. Um, and it was normal. It was my normal. Um, but it's not mm-hmm. the same for everybody. Um, but I didn't really like think, I don't know, it wasn't like anything bad. I was just like, oh, that's weird. Um, and you know, in elementary school, they really made, they put lots of effort into making me not feel different. Um, before, you know, we went to lunch, I would have to go to the, I'd have to walk to the office and get my enzymes and take those before I ate. And so my teachers always kind of made it like a, a reward. Whoever was good, you know, in class that day, um, got to walk down, got to leave class early and walk down to the office with me and, you know, take my medication and then get to lunch a little bit earlier. So it was kind of like the cool thing. Everyone wanted to um, be picked, you know, <laughs> to go to the office. So that was really nice because it made me feel, right. you know, like more special instead of, like different or odd or you know something wrong with me Mm -hmm. no I think that is so awesome I the reason I asked that question like as a parent I think of having this baby where and you walked us through all the different risks that CF has and kudos to your parents for allowing you to have a normal childhood because in my mind I'm like 
I was thinking, I'm like, well, does that mean, like, can she even run? Like, would they allow that? Or because it makes you scared, you know, because you have all these risk mm-hmm. factors. And, but you're right, like, you can't be scared to live. And it actually helped you, which is awesome. And I feel like every time we have this trial or something in life, it can always be put in a good light. And it seems like with you and your parents and your teachers, it was put in the best light it could have. Like you had a normal childhood. It was even something that was special and exciting at times, like the cute little going to lunch early. I think that's just awesome. Um, So how did it progress after you got older and – I know you've been in and out of the hospital. Has it gotten worse or is it just, is that kind of the nature of the disease is that it gets worse as it gets, as Um, you get older? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say it's a little bit of both. Um, I noticed that, well, with CF, it's always, um, you're like, you're like never getting better. It's always getting worse. And so mm-hmm. you, you know, you have your routine and your, your normal, and then, um, you know, you culture like a new bug, a new bacteria. And so then you have to create a new game plan, how you're going to, you know, care for that among everything else. And that's your new normal. And so mm-hmm. there's never like, it's never like every year you have a new normal or something comes up. It's kind of always changing. And um, because of that, we go... Um, every three months to have um, like a full CF checkup and to monitor our lungs and do blood work and, you know, evaluate our weight gain or weight loss and our stress levels and um, all of those things because those can trigger infections. And that was something that I really Mm -hmm. learned about myself was after high school, um, when I moved away to college, I, you know, just took on a lot more responsibility. It was a transition point from um, where my parents, you know, cared for most of my most of my disease to, you know, I graduated from Primary Children's Hospital and I was being seen at the University of Utah. And so I became the full-time manager of my disease. Um, and so that had a learning curve with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, took on everything else on my plate that the moms do, you know, your moms do your laundry, they cook your meals, they, you know, do most of the cleaning and dishes and, you know, all those things. But when you move out, you take on those. And that, um, I noticed that I started getting sick, um, my freshman year of college. And, um, I have found that me personally, um, stress, stress alone can trigger a CF exacerbation for me. Um, and so I, mm-hmm. I know that um, each time that I do have like any change, whether that's a move or, um, you know, a new job or, you know, finals or like tests in school or, you know, moving to a different state, anything like that, I know I am going to end up with an exacerbation. So I kind of have to um, plan things accordingly and carefully. Um, And I do my best to keep a low stress level um, as, as much as I can um, simply because I'm trying to keep myself out of the hospital. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Every um, CF exacerbation that you do have, it affects your lungs directly. And, and when I say an exacerbation, that means a flare-up of all the symptoms, um, which usually I've contracted a lung infection um, with that. And every time that you have a lung infection that has to be treated um, with antibiotics in the hospital, um, you your lung function has gone down. Um, so you lose a you know a portion of your lung function. And the hard or the scary thing is you never know if you're going to be able to regain that function. You never know like how much of it is going to come back mm-hmm. because the nature of the disease is it gets worse as you get older. And um, you, the more lung infections you have, the more scar tissue buildup that occurs in your lungs, um, the more mucus, mucus you have. Um, we work really hard to cough all of that out every day because it, you know, the portions that don't get coughed out can um, harden and the lung tissue behind that will die and scar up. Um, so it's very important for us to be strict with our treatment regimens and always, um, if we feel like we're starting to get sick, like making appointments and being as proactive versus reactive, because um, if you have like a reactive view on your disease, you're going to have less of a chance to live longer and, you know, a quicker decrease in your quality of life, faster acceleration of your disease, if you will. Right. How is the emotional side with knowing all of that? Like, it's just, I don't know. It makes me so sad knowing that like with every flare up and thing that you have, it, I mean, it takes years off your life. Maybe I don't even know exactly how you look at it, but I, I know that patients with CF aren't expected to live more than like 40 years. Is that correct? Uh So how do you how do you handle that? Because that's a lot of like emotional baggage to know that your life is about half of a normal person's life. Your life expectancy is about half. How does that, I guess, take us through kind of how that has affected getting married and becoming a mother and just your outlook on life? How has that played a role in all of your your life decisions. Okay. That's a really great question. Um, and something that not everybody with CF has the same viewpoint. Um, so Mm -hmm. going back to when I was growing up, um, I actually did not know that cystic fibrosis was a terminal disease. Um, I knew that I had it and I knew I had lots of doctor appointments and I had like a little bit of different lifestyle. Um, but I remember being at one of my appointments and my doctor mentioned something about being terminal or when I was born, the life expectancy was only 18. So I don't know if she was talking about like how many more years I had to live. I don't remember, but I remember like it caught my attention and I was taken back and I waited till she left the room and I asked my mom, I was like, what do you mean? Like, this is a terminal disease. Like, why have you never Mm -hmm. told me? Um, and you know, obviously I'm taken back and in shock and I was, I was under 12. Um, and so, you know, trying to comprehend and, um, wrap my head around that, you know, as a, as a child really. Um, and, Mm -hmm. uh, I remember, I'll never forget. She responded. She's like, Oh yeah, it is. 
But your dad and I, we decided not to focus on that part of the disease. We weren't going to focus on that. We wanted to have a, you know, a positive outlook on your life and, you know, do the best that you can while we're here. And, you know, we'll see, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll see what developments come along. And I was like, oh, okay, Uh, that makes sense. And I accepted that. And it totally flipped a switch in my mind. And I wasn't like, even nervous. I wasn't, I don't even think I thought twice about it after that. Um, and mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm going to look at it like that way too. You know, I have this, but who cares that it says I'm only supposed to live time 18. And, you know, I made like personal goals to live, live till I was 20. Um, you know, I, I knew that the longer I could live, the more advanced medicine and treatments um, would advance too. And so I wanted to be as healthy as I could so that I could, you know, take advantage of those advancements. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had a goal that I wanted to change the life expectancy age of cystic fibrosis. And I say I had a goal. I should need to say I have a goal. So that means I have (laughs) to outlive the life expectancy so that I can, you know, bring it up, you know, more people, you know, Mm -hmm. outliving what they're expecting. Um, And so I remember, you know, it was 18 for the longest time. And then it slowly increased. And I didn't really start paying attention to it um, until a couple years ago. And it was like, you know, the... I think it was like 32 or 34 and um, that I remember the year that it it made its jump to 36 and we were all like super excited and really just like flipping out because in one year, the life expectancy had gone up um, four years and we'd never had like Mm -hmm. that big of a jump. Um, And, you know, now a couple years later, we have now jumped up to 40 And, um, I think, you know, how lucky am I because the life expectancy that I was given, they've already doubled it. So by the time I'm 40, it's going to be doubled again, you know? Um, but I Mm -hmm. think that goes back to my parents training me to have an optimistic mindset, um, and to not focus on the negative, but focus on the positive. And to also right. take a proactive approach to my disease versus a reactive, because it's very, very easy to just be reactive. Um, you know, you have we have a lot on our plate to um, for just like our treatment regimen to maintain where we're at and to stay healthy. And you know, if you're going to mm-hmm. have a proactive approach to that, you have to do even more than that. You know, be like on on guard and, you know, um, instead of just, you know, doing what I need to do to stay healthy and then I get sick. Okay. Well now I'm going to go in the hospital. Okay. I'm going to get released and I'm going to keep doing the same thing that I was doing. You know, for us, we, you know, every time I go in the hospital, you know, we go back and evaluate everything. Okay. What did I do? Where did I go? Did I travel? Did I eat? Did I, you know, hang out with somebody who was sick or had recently been sick or their kids are sick or, you know, um, mm-hmm. I have to be careful, like the homes that I go into, um, do they have pets? Are they good at keeping a clean and tidy home? 
because all of those things can affect me. Um, and so emotionally, I, I did really well with it until I, you know, I got pregnant with my son and I'm sure, you know, all the hormonal changes with pregnancy, you know, caused me to start having, you know, anxiety about things. And then when, Mm -hmm. you know, you do have a child and you realize that their whole existence depends on you. Well, I'm like, okay, so their whole Mm -hmm. existence depends on my existence. So I have to be here because I have to take care of them, you know, and, um, Mm-hmm. I just started getting a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression that I think started as postpartum depression. Um, but my health, my health really, mm-hmm. really struggled. Um, you know, I'm three years, my son will be three in June and I have not um, recovered um, the lung function that I lost during that pregnancy. Um you know, my life dramatically changed after right. having yeah. my son. Um, and so I was trying to adjust to being a new mom as well as this whole new, um, it was almost like a new disease because everything was more amplified and I was trying to figure out my new normal. I was trying to figure out how to, um, understand that I couldn't do things anymore that I used to be able to like I couldn't I couldn't go out and just run three miles you know I couldn't even go out and run a mile I couldn't (laughs) you know I had just um I don't want to say fallen but I just had like a very um traumatic decrease in my lung function and my overall health um and so that is nerve-wracking in itself to in such a quick amount of time to drop so much. Um, and so I started developing lots of anxiety on that. Um, so I started going to counseling, which is huge. I'm a big, big advocate for therapy now. I Mm -hmm. am sad that I haven't been going to therapy the 25 years before I started doing it (laughs) because I know how much it totally helps. And I think everybody needs to have a therapist. Um, even Mm -hmm. if you don't have, quote anxiety or quote depression or quote a problem um it's just nice to have a third party to talk to who can give professional advice and is removed from your situation so their advice is um very logical and there's not necessarily much emotion tied to it Mm -hmm. um whereas when you get you know feedback from your family sometimes um you know that emotion can play into things that they might suggest or want you to do um, right. and I'm also on medication to help both my anxiety and depression. And I do lots of, um, like I have different coping mechanisms to, um, I try and keep all, I have like my worry chair that I can only worry when I'm in like literally physically sitting in that chair. Um, and mm-hmm. I spend about 15 minutes every day there. Um, otherwise my worries just run through my head all day long and that only creates stress and exacerbations and makes things worse. So I had to learn to, you know, proactively control my worry and my anxiety and my stress because it was not only affecting my mental health, it was affecting my physical health and my disease 
accelerating mm. that. Um, I, but you know, with all of that, I still do have a very positive outlook on life because I'm so dang grateful for every day that I have. Um, I well, nobody is guaranteed a tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, we've heard that and, you know, there are lyrics about that or, you know, like mm, inspirational quotes or books and things like that. But, um, I am, I have this like invisible countdown clock, you could say, you know, like above my mm-hmm. head or like an invisible, like ticking bomb. You never know when it's going to go off. I never know when like my last day could be. And so I, really try and live my life full every single day. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think it helps me to be a better mother because um, I have more patience with my son um, because I try and when I try and not get stressed out um, by the little things that he does that would normally aggravate me um, mm-hmm. like spilling milk or today he, pooped out on the patio, you know, (laughs) all those mom things that like really are frustrating. I'm like, all right, well, whatever. At least I'm here to clean up his poop, you know? And I am like so grateful every day that I have to be here to, you know, teach him something new or to help shape him into the person he's going to be one day. And, you know, I have my beautiful husband who is so supportive And I can't imagine, um, you know, him having a life with anybody else. And so Mm -hmm. I, I live for, I guess, selfishly so that he he only (laughs) can have me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's not a bad thing. That's not selfish to want to only be married (laughs) to you. Yeah. So I don't know. I just want, I have more to live for than besides my self-centered self and, you know, my parents and my siblings, which was my life before, you know, when you find that special someone, um, your meaning for life, um, just becomes much more full and, um, you're on a new level of happiness and, um, devotion. And that devotion goes beyond, um, you know, like emotions for us. It's me devoted to my health because I'm devoted for him and I want to spend more time with him. Um, mm-hmm. we, we kind of develop, like we have a funny saying that every treatment that I complete is another day with him, which mm-hmm. it, it's not that way. It's not that guaranteed or, you know, but we just like always say that. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like our little victory, um, our little game that we play, if you will, like, you know, well, I did four treatments today, so I'm here for another four days, you know, <laughs> you, know or you can add up how many treatments I did in a year. And, you know, that's how it's just like our little motivator to for me to be compliant so that I can be with him. Right. And my family as long as I can. Right. And I'm sure you need every ounce of motivation you can because it seems like it's very consuming for all of those um, treatments, both mentally and physically. I love what you said about counseling um, and having 
and it's not only if you like are depressed or anxious. I went to counseling and I was so nervous to go to it because I was having a really hard time processing like my husband's cancer and everything. And yeah, I just had a baby. And so I had all these like hormones and it was just, you know, hard time. Yes. And I was so nervous to go to counseling. I was like, it's just a bunch of crazy people telling me to do a bunch of crazy stuff. And I'm like, I'm not going to go. And so I pushed it off forever. And then I kept having the feeling to go. I finally went and not only was the counselor like the most perfect, she had cancer too and just understood like me on every level. But I remember coming home from my first session with her and my husband's like, so what did you guys talk about? And I was like, it's kind of just like a pep talk. She was like, what kind of awesome person do you want to be? And like, let's figure out how to get there. I was like, I wasn't expecting that at all, but it just made me like so motivated to go and like conquer the world, you know? So I totally agree that counseling can be so beneficial and, and, and medicines and different things to, I don't know, just like, like you said, you got to pre be proactive about your health and it makes even us without terminal illnesses. Like if you can have the same attitude as you do, Mandy, and be proactive about our health, mental and physical, and have that outlook of, I want to be here and I want to be present. I want to have a bright future. It's it's the same thing for us as normal people. Like we have to do the day in and day out daily things to ensure our future is bright and lengthy and all that stuff. So what an example you are to us and inspiration that you can have that outlook and because yours is like tenfold, right? Of like the normal person of all the things you have to do. Um, I just can't even imagine the mental and physical stress and time that it takes. I love what you said. You had a, what, what kind of chair did you call it? The worry chair. The worry chair. I need a worry chair. Yes. (laughs) You're also helpful helping mechanism (laughs) or tip. No, yeah, that is I think we all need a worry chair because I'm I'm totally that kind of person where I think you need to get it out, right? You need a time to sit down and think through the worries and the bad things. But like you said, you only need to do that for 15 minutes and then it's time to, for us to get on our way cuz it it would ruin your day if you take your worry chair everywhere mm-hmm. with you. I do I did a blog post on my worry chair, so I can give you that link. No, that would be perfect because what I've never heard of a worry chair before, but that's like the perfect thing to have Mm -hmm. for everybody to just get out all the bad and then focus on the good. Mm -hmm. Um, When you think about, how do I want to phrase this? When you think about, you said your family is now, you have this just so much more motivation now that you have a husband and a child, I guess when you're in your worry chair, what are your like, what are your worries about? And I'm sure it has a lot to do with them and not being there for them. And how do you, how do you get yourself out of the worry chair? I guess, like take us through the process of pushing those worries aside and how you can focus on just the good every day. Um, okay. So that, well, there are two types of worries and stresses um, that I've been able to categorize. The chronic 
the long-term, the catastrophic worries, you know, um, like my health, how long am I going to be here? When am I going to die? How, how much of my son's life and I'm, am I going to be able to see, am I going to be here when my husband graduates dental school? You know, are we going to be able to own a house or buy a house? You know, you have all those big stressors. Um, but then you also have your day-to-day stressors like, oh, crap, I slept in. Um, I'm in traffic. I'm going to be late for work. Um, my son spilled the milk. Um, I broke my phone screen. I stubbed my toe really hard. You know, all of those things. And <clears throat> I really have learned to... Um, if I let those things take my energy, <clears throat> I don't have enough energy to care for my disease. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've really had to learn to let those smaller things go, um, let those smaller things roll off my shoulder, which isn't natural. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, something that I've really had to practice because, you know, we we get angry when and frustrated when those things happened, you know, those things happen, um, you know, because you break something and then you think about the financial stress that it's going to cause, you know, in your, your bank mm-hmm. account and okay, well, if I had to pay for that, how am I going to pay for food or dance lessons or, you know, those different things. And so, you know, um, everything that comes our way, like we are going to make it through it. And mm-hmm. those are just, little things that you know might seem like a big deal right now but don't don't let them be at least in that moment um then Mm -hmm. when you take your you have your you know 15 to 20 minutes I literally like set a timer on your microphone microphone on your microwave, <laughs> on your um your oven or on your mm-hmm. phone. I don't like to have my phone with me because um, you know, that can go off. People can call or text or, you know, different things. Even if you put your phone on do not disturb, you know, things alarms can mm-hmm. go off. Um and, you know, I typically do it when my husband's home so he can take care of my son and he won't interrupt me. Um, you know, put in your headphones or noise canceling headphones and I close my eyes and I just think about everything, everything that happened during the day and okay, this happened. Um, am I over or am I still mad about it? Okay. I'm still mad about it. So I'm going to feel mad and I'm going to be ticked at that driver for, you know, cutting me off or I, you know, whatever, I'm going to feel that emotion and I'm going to move on to the next thing. Um, but you have so many of those things to happen every day that happen every day. You can't spend too much time worrying or being mad about it because you only have 20 minutes to go through everything. Mm -hmm. So you, you have all of those things. Um, and then sometimes, um, you know, I want to go through those really fast so that I can think about the big things and, you know, I can sit and cry because my lung function isn't, you know, going up no matter like, you know, I've changed my routine and I've like my daily normal routine is more than double what it used to be. And I'm still not seeing any improvements. Um, you mm-hmm. know, how frustrating is that to be putting in the effort and not seeing the reward, um, not getting a break. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, if I'm here, where, where is it going to go next? 
Now you think about all those things and you embrace them and you feel them. Um, and when during this time, I also take like this is kind of where I I take a moment to be proactive, and I'm like, okay, so this. You know, I'm really, it's flu season and I am so stinking worried I'm going to get the flu. You know, the flu could absolutely take my life. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, every flu season, it's like, I just, you know, we all get more nervous. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I stress about flu season all the time. You know, I get my shot as soon as it comes you know, it's flu season. Okay, what am I going to do to prevent that? So, you know, I'll sit and I'll stress about it. And then I'll pick one thing to do to be preventative. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a post on social media to remind people to stay away from our family. If they have a cold, a cough, a runny nose, any a fever, um, you know, anything that could trigger that, or I'll be like, oh, yeah, go buy hand sanitizer at the store so that I can, you know, I need to restock the bottle in my car or you know, the one by my front door, or, you know, I, I worry about it. And then I create a quick plan of action. And then I move on to the next thing. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you can't make you don't make it through very much. And you spend the whole 20 minutes worrying about one thing. And that is absolutely fine, too. Because, you know, different things are cause more heartache than others. And you need to mm-hmm. allow those um you need to honor those emotions. And sometimes you spend 20 minutes thinking about one thing and you have to come back the next day and spend all the 20 minutes thinking about that. Um, But I am very focused when I'm doing it. So I sit down and I get in my mode and I just start worrying. And then as soon as I hear the timer go off, I literally, um, I picture it in my head. I have the same routine the timer went off. I, you know, I picture myself gathering up all of my worries, like as if they're a bunch of scattered papers, you know, all over the floor or the room, you know, they're all over in the clouds. And I picture me gathering all those up and you know, making a big like um, ball of them. And then I open my box and I slide my worries in there and I close my box and I lock it. And then I, I've, move it aside in my head. And I'm like, okay, there is where all of my worries are. My worries are in my worry box and I'm not carrying them with me once I get up from the chair. Um, and so mm-hmm. that allows me to, um, you know, have a spot where they are. And, you know, when I get frustrated during the day um, about something, I just send it to my worry box and, you know, so that I can focus on it in my worry chair because I don't have time and I don't have energy to, you know, deal with, not deal with it. Um, but you just can't mess around. You don't want to borrow trouble. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. No, I, I totally understand. And I think that concept, I'm a huge believer that our mind, we don't use our, our minds enough. Right. I think, Lots of times we're too focused on our physical health and relationships. And I mean, we are living in a very fast paced life and all these crazy things are happening. And, but I love when I hear people that take the time to use their brains 
in their minds for good. Exactly like what you said, you you utilize your brain to when something comes up during the day, if you're not in your word chair, you can push it aside because you're like, I'm not going to focus on that right now. Mm-hmm. And then you take the time later, though, to process it so it doesn't come back and bite you in the butt. And I think that's such a good lesson for all of us to learn. I'm like over here just like fist pumping. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, that's how you like live a meaningful life right there. It's like you you learn that control, I guess. I guess it comes down to like being in control. And I mean, I'm not surprised that it, it takes somebody with a terminal illness to really dial in and have that kind of focus. Um but what a great example to all of us of finding that control and living in the here and now and not letting the angry drivers or the the poopy, the poop on the porch or, I mean, all that kind of stuff ruin our day, right? Because yeah. it, it, it does too often in me all the time. And when I have those days where I let something so small ruin my day, I feel like a failure. And so I, I literally am going to start implementing this worry chart. I love the concept of not letting these little things bug us and living as if we all had to have the kind of focus that you do because it was a beautiful way to live your life and make every day meaningful. Um, man, this hour has just flown by. I seriously – I. I knew very little coming into this podcast. I have read your blog and I followed you for a few months. And today before we recorded, I went and like Google searched (laughs) some stuff Uh just so I wasn't like totally inept. But Uh there is so much to learn and it's so eye-opening talking to somebody who lives every single day with an illness. So... Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Before I let you go, I have a couple questions. Oh, yeah. Um, first comes from one of our listeners. Um, it's the Mama Hood blog. Uh-huh. She wants to know what you do to lift your spirits. So, I mean, you've taken us through the worry chair and everything, but what's like, I guess, something more like fun that you do just to be happy when some of those worries are hanging on? Yeah. Um, well, honestly, like when I get bad news or, um, you know, things happen, I take a step back and, you know, I, I remember everything that I already have overcome. That was once bad news. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, that was once a roadblock and, you know, we hurtled over it and, um, or I remember, you know, everything that I already have been given, you know, from the big, beautiful things of my husband and my son and the body and the lungs that I do have all the way down to the simple things that, you know, I had eggs in my fridge and I have my hair looked cute today and my lips aren't chapped, you know, just, <laughs> you know, whatever those little things are. So taking a step back and realizing things that you already have overcome and, um, you know, everything that you're grateful for. Uh, and then something that's just like silly or fun. We, my husband, I think he posted about it today or yesterday on his Instagram page. Um, and he just wanted all of us to, our whole family just scream as loud as we can 
as loud as we could. He's like, when was the last time you screamed as loud as you could? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know if I ever have. And he's like, me neither. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we, he counted to three and we all just screamed until like that <laughs> breath was out. And it was so, I don't know, just like that big release of energy, the effort you put into that. And, um, you know, it, we all just were kind of looking silly and it made us laugh. And you know, it was just a really good thing to, um, I don't know. I mean, people scream into their pillows and right. you know, it helps. <laughs> so that Feels was good just to let it out yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a brand new thing that has helped me that I'm going to try and do more often. <laughs> I so. love it. No, I think, I think we all have to have those like silly, just unique things that, that work. I, I mean, our family is big into, we got a Google home for Christmas and uh, every day we have like a, like stress release dance, I swear. Oh, and cool. Just dancing around the kitchen. That's kind of like what we do at the end of the day and everybody just kind of wiggles around. So I totally get like just having silly fun things that. Oh that make you feel better um so the final two questions um are kind of going together so you can i'll ask both of them and you can just kind of flow them together um what's one of the biggest things that you've learned with living your life with this terminal illness and as you, as you continue to do it day in and out what's like the biggest lesson you've learned and then what advice would you give somebody else who might have a terminal illness or a similar situation as you do? What, what would you say to them? That you are stronger than you think you are. Um, and, you know, it, in that moment, when you see, receive, um, you know, really bad news, um, about yourself or somebody else. And it feels like the world is, you know, crashing down on you. Um, remember that this isn't, well, I don't want to say this isn't going to kill you <laughs> because that's <laughs> ironic. Coming to me. Uh, yeah. um, but <laughs> like, you're going to get through this and it's going to get better. And, you know, even, you know, with my illness, like I, I can't say I'm going to get through CF because there is no cure. Um, but I am going mm -hmm. to get through, you know, this, you know, sudden drop in weight and I will, you know, be able to get that back. Or, um, oh, I believe that you, God won't give anybody something that they cannot handle. And, you know, whether you don't feel you are strong enough or qualified enough to handle what you've just been given, um, God will give you that strength to make you through that. You're stronger than you think you are, and you, you will surprise yourself what you will get through to not doubt yourself. I love that. I heard this... Um, I heard this little story. I don't know if everybody put all of their problems and all of their stresses into a bucket, each of us would reach in and pull out our own problems back out because mm -hmm. we 
know we can handle them and we we wouldn't want something else that somebody else has. So whatever you have, you will be able to handle it and um, just be patient with yourself and, you know, put in the work mentally and um, physically and work on your attitude because um, those things will make a difference in how you view your disease or how you view your challenge and then how you're going to take it on. And, um, you know, if you're, going to have a negative outlook you're probably going to have a negative response and so um, to think positively and to be proactive um, because what you think your thoughts become your actions and your actions become results mm-hmm. I love that um, so such good advice to have to remember to stay patient that is something that I think is like my overall thing. God's like, Casey needs to learn patience. And so with ev- within every trial, the like lesson to be learned is patience. <laughs> oh, I'm not um, with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so hard because you just want results. Like you said, you just want to put in the, re- the work and get your results. And maybe it's just like the athletes in us or something, but it's so hard. But what great advice to just work on it and stay patient and you can get through it no matter what your no matter what cards you're dealt, they're dealt specifically for you. Yeah. And you have you have the 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 attributes and assets and people around you and God knows what he's doing, right? Yeah. If you believe in a God and believe that he's mindful he knows what he's doing when he gives you these things and he puts the people and things in your path that make you able to handle them so i love i love that advice and just love everything you had to say tonight (laughs) mandy thank you so much i have learned so much and i feel so much more motivated to live a more meaningful life now you really i mean i'm like getting tears my eye thinking of putting myself in your shoes, living a life, having that terminal illness like overhead and it just puts things into perspective. So thank you for taking the time to, to tell us and not being scared to share your story. You are very welcome. Thank you for thinking that I even had something to share. (laughs) (laughs) You do. No, I'm, People are gonna love this. I know it. So no, I'm so you. grateful for this opportunity. Thank you for, um, you know, seeing something in me that I might not have seen in myself. So I appreciate you mm-hmm. challenging me to, you know, share my story in this way. What an amazing woman that Mandy is. As I talked to her, I could just feel her strength and her determination to get the most out of every day and week and year of her life, no matter how short or long her life might be. Um, what great perspective she gives us of, of we aren't guaranteed a tomorrow, nobody is, but if we can take advantage of what we are doing today and be proactive about what we're doing today that we can live a much fuller life i love love what she had to say about her worry chair um what a great concept of putting our worries away and only dealing with them when we are in a controlled and 
good environment to do so. So let's all live like Mandy. Take every day and enjoy it to the fullest and live with no regrets. Thanks guys. We'll see you next week.